Vincent van Gogh, the great painter, said that the way to know life is to love many things. The way to know life is to love many things. So we're quite um, fortunate to have had a loving-kindness retreat happening here this week. Um, If you haven't noticed it, there's a kind of scent of um, great care and loving-kindness that's been cultivated this week here. And we're shifting to being aware of moment-to-moment experience. Um, but of course, during the week that we're going we're gonna to also teach loving-kindness and integrate that into this, this practice. But I just wanted to say that um, it's like if you have a garden, you kind of trust that you will create the conditions for um, growth. And we did this week, you know, we've had, it's like if you have sunlight and rain and good compost and you tend the weeds, it's like um, you, cult- you can cultivate a beautiful garden. And there, there is a beautiful garden that you're coming into. Um, so the loving-kindness practice, this garden is really, um, part of it is a soft heart. And the soft heart helps us to um, open to things as they are. The loving-kindness tends to melt resistance. So it might take the people who just came in, you know, a little bit of time to kind of weave into the retreat that's been happening, but probably not long. It's like... When I came in tonight, the first thing I heard from the staff was how beautifully quiet this group already is. You know, like that there's already a feeling of of um, everybody coming together, which is quite wonderful. And not it doesn't always happen. So tonight, I'd like to talk about just kind of the basics of how to create sacred space together. Um, we'll also talk about it a bit more tomorrow night. We're really inviting um, inviting the sacred into our lives by being here, and uh, the more retreats you do, the more one finds you know that uh, the intention is really to. It's almost like you become a cathedral yourself. It's like you know that feeling if you walk into the woods and you have that sense of awe and quiet. Um, well, that's the feeling I hope is in the meditation hall, the feeling that you get when you do the walking practice. Um, and ultimately, it's, like, it's, like it's kind of like this inner home or inner sanctuary that we're creating that people can come into. So this isn't a selfish or self-centered process. It's really something where you're really infusing your, your whole being with wisdom, you're infusing your whole being 
with compassion, loving kindness, and then you can make an offering of that as best you can in the world. Often people relate to us like we're going on a vacation, <laughs> and it's, um, it has its pleasant times, but it's also, um, it takes a lot of earnestness to do this. Not perfectionism, but definitely dedication and earnestness. So the assumption is that there is something of value already inside of us. And it's not that we're making something happen. It's like the earnestness isn't the effort that's kind of trying to make something happen and trying and trying. It's much more a relaxing into what's there, a relaxing into a deeper motivation of what's already there. So the the human instinctual impulse tends to be a, a kind of conditioned or automatic uh, impulse like of desire and fear. And this mindfulness practice is one of um, finding this deeper nature within us that, that wants to be with things as they are, that, does it, that wants to be like a, an alive, responsive being rather than somebody who's bi- blindly reacting to things and therefore often causing a lot of harm to ourselves and others. So to create um, sacred space together, it's understood that the foundation of a, of a peaceful heart is really generosity. And if this was Asia, the beginning of a retreat um, is it's meant to be that we mostly would talk about generosity and then morality. Um, so if you think about that for a second or two, um, if you just think of the generosity of your friends, family, people at work, again, the, what it took to get here, you can see that there's this whole foundation of beings that makes it possible for us to be here. And then there is the staff, you know, coming into a retreat center is such a gift. You know, there's so much that we receive by walking in here. And then there's the gift of the silence. Everyone committing to the silence. In this, in this, in this perspective, it's uh, the silence. It's also a foundation um, for creating this sacred space together. So I'd like to read a quotation by a teacher called Srinazargadatta Maharaj from a book called I Am That. Um, he's no longer alive. Um, this is what he says about silence. No particular thought can be the mind's natural state. Only silence. Not the idea of silence, but silence itself. When the mind is in its natural state, 
it reverts to silence spontaneously after every experience, or rather every experience happens against the backdrop of silence. So one of the reasons we have this emphasis on the silence is, is really for us to discover that and to really understand what a silent mind is. It's not um, a dead mind. It doesn't mean the absence of thought, but it means that we are able to access this non-reactiveness One of the other, um, I think, supports that we have here and um, around these grounds and in the area is, is just nature. I just like, sometimes I just am aware of how many leaves there are in, in the trees. It's just like the, the forest. It just, it's just countless beautiful leaves. Um, if you come from a place that doesn't have a forest like this, it's amazing. Someone um, gave me a card at the beginning of this retreat uh, by Madame Curie. She said, All my life, through the new beauty of nature, made me rejoice like a child. So the nature here is made to, it's like it helps us to be open, the soft heart of a child. It's like a, it's like a, um, we were relating to the earth in this, this past retreat as a benefactor, as such a deep support for our lives. Um, and I think when, at least when I do retreat, um, that awareness of the support that nature has given me in my life and continues to give me, um, especially as a sort of backdrop um, with the human world. No, thank, thankfully, nature still exists on this planet and that uh, we can value it and want to protect it. So that is also, at least in this context, um, a huge part of the sacred space something to access. And then in terms of our own um, generosity to each other, we ask you to um, commit to caring about each other by uh, committing to the precepts. So the thing that I want to emphasize in relationship to this tonight is, again, it's like in terms of creating an atmosphere of fearlessness uh, and safety so that we can go deep inside um, out of care, like out of the motivation of care, we commit to not harming each other. So the first precept is really um, all about protecting life. It's because we understand how deeply we're connected, we commit to not killing anything. 
And uh, we mentioned this this last retreat, but as the mosquitoes hatch, there are times when that can be quite um, testy. Last night, some mosquitoes hatched in the place that I am. <laughs> and it was my first bout of the year with them. And, you know, I was so tired. And it just like I couldn't figure out where they were coming from even. It's like I shut the doors. I was shutting the windows. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like turn on the light, get a jar, kind of try to catch it, you know. Okay, you know, thought I got it, lay down again, tired, tired, you know, exhausted, exhausted. You know, it's just like, it's a drag not to kill these guys sometimes. You know, it's just like, it's like, it seems so dumb when we're tired not to just be able to go, you know, it's like, and we're asking you not to do that. We're asking you to pause and consider that their their life is as precious as yours while we're here. And it, it's like, um, I would ask you to just think about, like, the more, the more we kill, the easier it is to kill. And the less we kill, the harder it is to kill. You know, that that's... Um, just how killing is. You know, so there's a lot, there's a lot in that. Um, but I think, again, to remind us that it's, it's again, the motivation is, is that because it's because we care. And then the next... Um, the next precept, I'm just going to mention one other thing again that I find I run into when I'm on retreat in regard to this precept, because it's usually not that I'm worried about murder, murdering somebody on the retreat. I mean, you know, not killing is generally not that hard to commit to, but it's often with insects. So another place where it can tend to be um, require a little effort on our part would be when you go in a shower or in the bathtub. And it's so easy to just be so casual. You know, you turn on the water, and it's like, oh, well, there goes a couple spiders down the drain. Oh, well. You know, it's just like, again, it's, it's sort of a, it can be a habit to not really check it out, take them out. It's, it might sound, like, simple, but for me, that it's, it's like that ability to pause on retreat and, and make the effort to care has really helped me in my daily life to do the same thing, to not be an automatic pilot with beings much smaller than me that are so easy to, uh, to be casual about. So it's a good practice on retreat, very powerful. The next precept, um, not stealing... Again, it's, it's around protecting life. It's like, um, it might sound, again, very simple and uh, common sense, but really it's like you can imagine if the whole world committed to not taking what isn't given to us, how safe we would feel. 
And this is a very complex precept in terms of um, where our food is grown and what we eat. It's like, um, but luckily here in the retreat, it, it is very simple. We're just uh, committing that if if you see somebody's like zafu or backjack or something and you feel like you want it, don't take it. You know, it just like find another way to, you know, get what you need. That, that's the idea. And it creates, again, the, the bottom line is the care, respect. And this is really helpful in terms of um, having a mind that can, or a heart that can deepen. And the third precept is um, committing to using our sexual energy um, Wisely, here it means celibacy. In our outer life, it means protecting relationships. So it's acknowledging. It's not like it's. Rep- it's not like it's a repression of sexual energy. It's like an, an opening to that energy, but using it to develop the energy to go deeper in one's heart, um, to develop more wisdom and compassion while we're here. The fourth precept. Telling the truth, not lying. Simple, we're in silence. Such a happy thing. And the fifth precept, um, not clouding the mind. Or, but, but this is a very interesting precept. Um, it, you know, not taking drugs or alcohol. This doesn't mean your prescriptions. Um, but it, it, it's a very interesting one because the idea of it is that it can lead to heedlessness. The taking of alcohol or drugs. It's just that that it, it, it can incline us toward heedlessness. It's, it's quite a beautiful precept. So I'd just like to ask you silently to yourselves tonight to commit to these precepts. We're starting the retreat. Tomorrow night we'll chant them. Understanding how deeply our lives intertwine, I commit to protecting life, not taking what isn't given, celibacy, speaking the truth and not taking alcohol or drugs. Out of deep care for each other. And really receive this intention from each person in this room as a gift to you or your gift to them. I have a friend that... um, has three children and an assortment of grandchildren now. And her one rule at home was uh, 
that they couldn't, the children couldn't talk disrespectfully to her. That was the um, rule of the household. And I asked her about it once, like, why, why did she particularly um, make that the only rule? And she said that it was because she knew that if the children talked disrespectfully to her, that they wouldn't respect themselves. So it wasn't like that she couldn't bear that they were talking disrespectfully to her at all. It was really that it was much deeper. It was that she knew that if they disrespected her, ultimately they would disrespect themselves. That's how interconnected we are. So if you think of these commitments as a kind of respect for each other, it really helps the wisdom practice. It really helps us respect each of our moments. It really helps us listen deeply to each sound, each sight, each smell, each taste, each touch, each thought. It's like... um, it's like the mindfulness practice is the fulfillment of care. It's the fulfillment of, of this um, deep trust in how things are. So much of um, our Western lives, are, are, it just feels like they get busier and busier and so stressed. Um, And mindfulness to me is the ultimate relaxation. It's the deepest and truest relaxation. And the reason for this is that we're inclining toward the intention to understand our experience. We're inclining toward the intention to understand our experience. And our, again, it's like our kind of habitual Um, way is to judge. And if you look even closely at the mind or heart for five minutes, you'll see how easy it is not only for us to judge, but to believe our judgments. It's just like so easy. And this is just the opposite. The mindfulness practice is that different. It's just like it's relaxing into not judging. It's relaxing into this inclining the attention to understand. And it's literally like um, so much of us are kind of, the, the attention is kind of tight or like moving a bit forward. And the, the mindfulness is such a, a <laughs> it's like, it's so subtle, a tweak. You know, it's 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 so amazingly subtle, but it's like the difference between night and day. It's like we're it's like the difference between trying too hard and relaxing, being ahead of ourselves and being here. Um, Uh, So we tend to think that we can make it happen, but it's really mindfulness that's mindful. It's understanding that understands. 
And it certainly isn't a command, you know, you can't make it happen, but you can just keep inclining the attention to it. You can keep inclining the attention to that. You can keep inclining the attention to not believe the judgments, to not believe the judgments again and again. This spring, um, I flew from Hawaii to Vancouver to do a long series of stretches of courses, meditation courses. It was my first um, day there, and I had to take a taxi from the airport to where I was staying. Um, So this man obviously had been, lived in India for quite a bit of his life, had moved to Vancouver. I talked with him about this for a while. We're driving along, and he asked me what I was doing there. And I'm like, well, I teach meditation. Uh, and he was quiet for a while, and then he, he acted very, like, frustrated. And, like, um, in actual fact, hopeless. But clearly he had been exposed in his early life to meditation or like the idea of it or something. And he said, I can't possibly do that. It's like, I'm a taxi driver. It's very stressful. I can't possibly do that. And then he kind of tightened up and he was just driving along. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, it's like, sorry, I mentioned it. You're the one who asked, you know, what I did, you know. So I'm sitting there, uh uh-huh, you know. And then five minutes later, he's like, I can't possibly do that. You know, it's like, I'm like, okay, okay. (laughs) I didn't, like, I'm not pushing it, you know. But it was clearly, like, he was quite wanting something, you know, like, but, um, so I said, finally I said, you know, we could really kind of talk about this and practice a little bit if you want. And um, he kind of did a few more of these, like, I can't do it. It's not possible. I'm very stressed. It's like it's getting more and more stressful. And I said, okay, let's just like, why don't you just put your um, awareness in your hands right now and just feel the steering wheel? And I said, what does it feel like? And he's like, oh, it's kind of um, sweaty. And I said, well, let's let's try like, is it cool? Is it warm? And and he said, okay, it's it's warm. And, you know, I said, why don't you just noticed that for a while, and and he just kind of calmed down a little bit, and then I asked him to um, be aware of his physical sensations in his butt, you know, touching the um, seat, and so it was just like a very gradual, like, well, what is, what is your experience right now, and, it, you know, he would say something like, um, this is impossible, you know, I can't do it, and then I'd be like, okay, what's this physical sensations, and then he started to get into that part. And, you know, it felt like we were in the present moment together and, you know, he was starting to relax a bit. And then (laughs) he's like, I have to be in the future. I can't be in the present. I have to be in the future. A good taxi driver is in the future, not in the present. You know, and and I was like, hmm. I said, you know what? I really want you to be in the future I don't, I, I don't want you to just be in the present. Yes, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, <laughs> I said, see that red light coming? I want you to, like, 
notice that. I want your attention to like go up to notice that. Let your attention go up to the stoplight. Plan what what we're going to do in the car. I need you to do that. And he's like, oh. And I said, let's, you know, okay, do that. And then like, let's come back to the physical sensations of your body. And then we practice that red light by red light by red light by red light. And he's like, oh, you know, and then he, and I said, I want you to know where we're going. You know, it's like, I do want you to plan and be in the future, but then come back, plan, be in the future, come back. Um, And as we were doing red light to red light, his energy went from that kind of frustrated, hopeless place, like, and his eyes, like the gratefulness. It's like, I'd see him looking in the rear view mirror at me. And it was just like, oh, the, the awareness, the insight, like that he could do this was so amazing. And at one point, you know, when we got to the last stoplight, you know, he looked in the mirror and he couldn't stand it anymore. He turned around and he was like looking at me like, he really, he really got it. And then we were about to pull over and we stopped and I said, look, your taxi is a sacred space. You know, it's a temple. You know, you don't have to leave that back in India. It's like, this is your temple, you know. And um, he said, well, I don't want to charge you. And I said, this has been great. I want you to charge me, you know. And so I left the taxi and paid him and I bowed and he bowed. And that was it. But that's what we're doing here. You know, how much of the time do we feel like, oh, I can't do this. It's like it's frustrating. It's like I can't be in the present moment. But we can. It's just, it's like, how do we do it? It's like, it's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to be hopeless. But this is like the ability to just bring the attention back. Just bring it back to what's happening in the moment. Just bring it back. And it doesn't matter that it goes. In fact, it will go into thinking or wandering, and that's okay. You find it, you'll come awake again to that, and you just bring it back. You bring it back. You bring it back. So what I learned over time was um, I used to judge so much how much my attention would get lost in thinking, and I would put so much energy into like hating myself for that or feeling like it wasn't good enough. And slowly, all that energy that I would put into that just started going into, oh, lost, back, lost, here, lost, here, lost, here, lost, here, lost, here. It's just like the energy started freeing up to just keep doing that. And that's all we do. It's like, it's a very beautiful process. It's called a training because it's the training to just trust that beginning again and beginning again and beginning again. So if you think about what it's like to listen to the sound of a bird, or even if I asked you to be aware of the sound of this bell,
the ears take in the sound before we have words to explain it. So the training isn't just that we're coming back with our attention to the present moment, but we're also developing understanding. It's called pre-verbal awareness. So mindfulness isn't just any old awareness. It's an awareness that understands. And the awareness can have more and more and more understanding in it. So the, the word mindfulness is getting thrown around the mainstream now to the point where it, it really seems like it's just this sort of vague kind of attention. But it isn't. It's awareness with deep wisdom in it. Uh, and the way into this wisdom is to notice, for example, that the sound will be happening before we have words for it. And then when the words appear, that we start letting those words about our experience be more in the background and the direct preverbal awareness be more in the foreground. So I gave the example of hearing, but it can be with sight. It can be like, for example, when I ask you to bring your attention to the movement of the breath. When you bring your attention there, there'll be the word breath, or the word abdomen, or the word hand. But we're asking you to be aware of the physical sensations before you have a word for it. So that's also part of the training. And that there's, there's, a, there's a reason for this. It's like um, we're learning to perceive reality directly. Again and again, re- we're perceiving reality directly. So there's less and less um, words between us and what's happening. It's like this you're moving from a dualistic way of perceiving the world to a non-dualistic way. There's so many different ways to talk about this. Um, I like to talk about it in terms of the attention being concurrent, as close to what is actually happening as we can get. So they're really... um, is this direct perception of reality itself. And again, there's even, you know, there's a reason for this. The reason for this is because we're not developing understanding by trying to figure out what's happening in life intellectually. Not that that isn't a very valid process, uh, but this is like receiving the truth of things through our perception directly. And it's more like the insight is more like, aha, you know, it's like an aha, um, rather than a, I think I'm going to spend the next half hour thinking about this. And this takes practice. When we hear the word um, enlightenment, what that means is that there's a full understanding without going through the thought process. That's all. very accessible, because it's always there. Unless there's something in between us and it. (laughs) 
So it's said that if we're able to sustain the mindfulness with some continuity with our direct experience, insight will happen. It's inevitable. And that process just keeps deepening and continuing. It's like the more we can sustain the mindfulness, again, it can be for a few seconds, insight will inevitably happen, inevitably happen. So it's really just a matter of um, putting in your time. There are many ways to try to describe mindfulness. Um, I like the expression that Suzuki Roshi uh, wrote about in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. He called it soft readiness. Which is implying that there can't be mindfulness if the attention isn't soft. Can't be rigid. It has to. It has to have a, a feeling of resting, relaxing. Um, beginner's mind. Wordless gentleness. The attention in um, mindfulness tends to be more accepting than fighting. Um, And basically, there's an interest in what's happening. And we're not taking the experience personally. So if some of those aspects of mindfulness are there, um, that's a lot. If, if all of those aspects are there, there'll be a deep understanding. The other little detail about mindfulness is that life is moving, uh, so that uh, mindfulness is like a pure awareness that's always in motion. Pure awareness that's always in motion. It's quite a beautiful thing. And mindfulness allows us to change our relationship uh, from one of um, being oppressed by our experience to being free. So it's a very, very powerful training, very worthy. It's considered quite noble, the most noble. We tend to um, disconnect so much because we're so busy, until it's almost like we become unreachable to our, from ourselves to ourselves. It's so hard to find ourselves and to find each other. Um, so to imagine that there's this practice where we can truly undo that damage, undo that horrendous habit of um, really being totally unreachable or others being unreachable to us. It's such a, such a sad thing in this world. So mindfulness restores our capacity for wonder.
it's uh, instead of aversion and attachment being our navigators, mindfulness becomes the navigator. Understanding becomes the navigator. So it's really like um, moment to moment we find our way. In a moment by moment we find our way. And even though we live in this momentary changing world, uh, the awareness becomes more um, present and understanding, compassion become our navigators. It's, it's an amazing process. So I'd like to end with a quotation from Pablo Neruda and then um, we're doing something a little more unusual tonight. We're going to chant the Metta chant tonight. Um, Instead of the refuges and precepts, we'll, we'll chant those tomorrow. So Pablo Neruda, when he um, got diagnosed with cancer, he went back to his roots in Chile and lived by the ocean. And he said about it, Here I came to the very edge where nothing at all needs saying. Everything is absorbed through through weather and the sea. The moon swam back, its rays all silvered, and time and again the darkness would be broken by the crash of a wave. And every day, on the balcony of the sea, wings open, fire is born, and everything is blue again, like morning. I hope you enjoy this process where less and less needs saying and there's more and more renewal. So this chant, um, if you don't want to chant it, um, Greg is going to lead it. Um, just try to tune into the feeling of it. <laughs> it's quite a beautiful feeling. And one reason I wanted you to chant it tonight is because um, it might be inspiring for you to chant it every night in the late sitting. <laughs> um, also, this chant is... been chanted in the insane prison in Burma by some monks. The monks started a chanting campaign as a protest. Um, So if you can imagine that the monks are being punished for chanting this chant in prison, and it's, it's spreading all over Burma as a protest. So I think that, um, if we realize how threatening loving-kindness really is to a regime that is based on fear and control, 
we have to tune into the own our own human mind and heart that um, is based on so much of our life internally is based on fear and control. So we can look at a regime and say how awful, but really if you pay attention to your own mind, you'll see how much what we do is based on fear and control. And that's, that's really what we're doing here. Freedom, freedom can only happen in this world if we understand how controlling <laughs> we are internally. You know, freedom will just not happen unless each individual wakes up. So this chant is very important and powerful in this world. And at least um, tonight we'll all be in here chanting it together. So we'll chant this chant and then um, that will be it for the evening. I also wanted to say that I am, am (laughs) unfortunately or fortunately really have to go to a wedding tomorrow, so um, it'll be very bad form if I don't show up in it. So just tomorrow I won't be here, but just to let you know, I wish I was here, (laughs) and I'll be back Sunday morning. Uh, So Greg will lead this chant. If you just came to the retreat, um, this is... If you're really tired, please sleep in in the morning and just come to breakfast. There will be a bell. Please come to the early morning sit if you can. But if you're tired, please sleep in. Yeah, come, please, everybody, we ask everybody to come to the 8.15 sits every day. Does everyone have a, a chanting sheet? Well, this is the Karaniya Metta Sutta. It's the um, Buddha's discourse on loving kindness. It's probably the most beloved chant in Buddhist countries. 
Probably people are chanting it, many people right now, in other parts of the world. And we've been doing it all this last week. So I'm counting on those of you who've been here to uh, sing out and help help the newcomers. So we'll, we do it call and response. As, uh, maybe by the later in the week we'll just do it all together. Uh, and we'll do the namotasa to begin. So I'll do that one time by myself. Then we'll do it three times together. And then we'll do um, the, the sutta chanting. Uh, I'll do one line, and then we'll do all the, that same line all together. You'll see how it works. It's quite simple. And this uh, way that we're chanting it here, it's um, I learned from a friend of ours. He's a Sri Lankan man named Damaruan. He's a meditation teacher and a father. Um, and he began spontaneously chanting this and other chants when he was only two or three years old, quite young, uh, in a very um, beautiful and rather uh, ancient kind of style, apparently. So this is uh, this is the way, my version of the way he, te- he uh, chants this. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Karaniyamata Kusalena Karaniyamata Kusalena Yantam santam padam abhisamecha Yantam santam padam abhisamecha Sakko ujucha sujucha Sakko ujucha sujucha Suacho chasa mudu anatimani Suacho chasa mudu anatimani Santu sakocha subarocha Santu sakocha subarocha Apakicho chasalla hukauti Apakicho chasalla hukauti Santindrio cha nipako cha Santindrio cha nipako cha Apagabo kule su ananugido Apagabo kule su ananugido Nachakudam samachare kinchi Nacha kudam samachare kinchi 
yena vinyu pareyu pavadeyum yena vinyu pareyu pavadeyum sukino va kemino hontu sukino va kemino hontu sabesata bhavantu sukitata Sabe sata bawantu sukitata ye kechi panabutati ye kechi panabutati tasavata varava anavasesa tasavata varava anavasesa Digawa ye mahantava Digawa ye mahantava Majimarasa kanukatula Majimarasa kanukatula Ditawa ye adita Dita wa yewa adita yechadure wasanti awidure yechadure wasanti awidure buta wa sambawe siwa buta wa sambawe siwa Sabe sata bavantu sukitata. Sabe sata bavantu sukitata. Naparo param nikubeta. Naparo param nikubeta. Nati manyeta katachinam kanchi. Nati manyeta katachinam kanchi. Bearosana patigasanya. Bearosana patigasanya. Nanya manyasa dukamicheya. Nanya manyasa dukamicheya. Matayata niang putam. Matayata niang putam. Ayusaeka putam manurake. Ayusaeka putam manurake. Ewampi sababu tesu. Ewampi sababu tesu. Manasambhavaye aparimanam. Manasambhavaye aparimanam. Metancha sabalokasmim. Metancha sabalokasmim. Manasambhavaye aparimanam. Manasambhava ye aparimanam. Udam adocha tiriyancha. Udam adocha tiriyancha. 
Asambaram Averam Asapatam Asambaram Averam Asapatam Titancharam Nisinova Titancharam Nisinova Sayanova Yavatasa Vigatamido Sayanova Yavatasa Vigatamido Etam Satim Aditeya Etam Satim Aditeya Brahma Metam Viharam Midamahu Brahma Metam Viharam Midamahu Ditincha Anupagam Asilava Ditincha Anupagam Asilava Dasanena Sampano Dasanena Sampano Kamesu Vinayagedam Kamesu Vinayagedam Nahijatu Gabaseyam Punaretiti Nahijatu Gabaseyam Punaretiti Sadu, sadu, sadu.